Welcome to the Variety Hour, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mouth. I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Welcome to Talk Money. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome to Talk Money. 2018 is the first year that the Tax Cut and Jobs Provisions Act applies. And why is it important to develop some tax strategies for year end? Why is this year more important than others? Well, Shoemaker Financial and Secure and Financial do not provide specific tax advice. This advice should not be considered as such, but we are going to discuss what we see as important and help you know what to ask your tax advisor regarding specific tax situations. Tommy Armstrong, Scott Jordan are here. They're going to discuss the new tax law and how you should be preparing for your year-end tax strategies. We're going to you really kind of dive into that in the weeds and get into it and let help you out. I think you'll find it to be interesting. Also with me is Shannon Dyson. He's back to answer your questions about Medicare and Medicare supplements. Here's a question that we've had before. Is there ever a reason not to take part A of Medicare? That's, that's a good question. Well, you might be surprised with his answer. From our Did You Know files, the S&P 500 closed last Friday, down 2633, 1123.18. That's last Friday. Now, that's a 10.2% drop from the index's all-time high, which occurred just two months ago at 2931. That decline represents the stock's index's sixth drop of at least 10% during the bull market, which began March of 2009, and a 10% correction has occurred once every 19 and a half months during this bull run. Now, this correction number five, which occurred back in 2018 in February, that's just a short 10 and a half months ago. So, yeah, you know what? We got to be careful. Is this, a, is this an indication of what's going on in the f- future? Are we getting tighter and tighter? Here's a question. Are you saving money today? If you happen to be 25 years old or you know somebody that's 25 years old and they invest $522 every month for 40 years and they earn 6%, guess what? By the time they're 65, they'll have a million dollars. But if they wait 10 years and start investing, it would take $1,021 invested at the beginning of every month for 30 years at 6%, and they would have a million. That cost you double. Man, that's a lot. Of, that's a big deal. That's just a simple math, easy to understand, but it does give you some indication of what it does mean to cost the cost of waiting just 10 years. In 2019, the American Congress will have Republicans in the White House, a Republican in the White House. Democrats will control the House of Representatives, and Republicans will control the Senate. Here's something you might not think about. That's the first time we've had that combination in Washington since 1981 to 1986, a period that had covered the first six years of Mr. Ronald Reagan's eight years in the White House. That's pretty kind of interesting. We'll see how that works out. The Federal Reserve Bank of New York released some information recently, and it's about outstanding student loan debt in the United States. Ready? $360 billion was the debt number. As of 331.05, it doubled to $720 billion as of 1231.09. 
Oh, hold on to your chair, man. And now it has doubled again to $1.44 trillion as of September the 30th. If you have questions for Talk Money, send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. To find today's program on podcast or past programs, go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial. Like us on Facebook. We would appreciate that. Coming up, Scott Jordan, Tommy Armstrong. What are the strategies that you need to think about for year-end tax planning? Also, Shannon Dyson, to answer your questions about Medicare and Medicare supplements, just what is your must-know before you make a purchase? I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to The Voice, KWAM 990 and FM 107. Point nine. This is Talk Money. Podcasts of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. Jim Shoemaker, Tommy Armstrong, and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, let me say this to you again. We're going to be talking about some year-end tax strategies for your planning purposes when you think about what you've got to do with this new Tax Cut and Jobs Act. It's the new tax law, and you've got to be thinking about it. But I want you to make sure Shoemaker Financial and Securian Financial do not provide specific tax advice. This advice should not be considered as such. That's not our purpose. But we're going to discuss what we see as important and help you know what to ask your tax advisor regarding your specific tax situation. But we're going to approach it from a planning perspective. We're going to try to give you that overall look so that you can think through some strategies, strategies that help you get through uh, uh, this this new law. And that's what we're here for. My guest today, Tommy Armstrong and Scott Jordan. Welcome to the programs, guys. Good morning, Jim. Great to be here, Jim. You know, let me let me start with this because I think this is a, a an issue that, that everybody thinks about. Okay, it's a new law. And I guess, Tommy, I want you to kind of give us the 30,000-foot view. What did we see that the taxpayer needs to look at or needs to understand that the new law brought to the page for us? What what do we need to think about? Okay, the, the very high points of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act for 2018, uh, starting off, None of the provisions applied to 2017. 2018 is a total new year, and the act included a reduction in tax rates for all taxpayers uh, on average, somewhere between 2 and 4%, depending on the uh, tax bracket the taxpayer's in. Uh, but in exchange for that rate reduction, uh, personal exemptions were eliminated and then replaced with an enhanced standard deduction, such as uh, the uh, standard deduction for a married couple is twenty-four thousand, uh, and that was to replace the previous standard deduction of approximately twelve thousand dollars, and the personal exemptions that would have been on the twenty seventeen return. Uh, it eliminated certain itemized deductions and left us needing to focus on our mortgage interest, our charitable deductions, and state taxes, and yet. Even though those changes were put in place, two very critical areas that did not change were long-term capital gains rates and the ability of a taxpayer over 70 and a half to give their required minimum distributions directly to a charity in the form of a qualified charitable distribution. Okay, so that's some of the things I want to get into with you as we progress through this whole discussion, because I know you say they didn't change, but we want to make sure that we bring them to uh, our listeners' attention because they are extremely valuable when you think about strategies. 
the uh the, the fact that the qualified charitable distributions did not change and the uh, long-term capital gains rates did not change plays into the plays into the itemized deduct planning for itemized deductions that used to be in place that have now been encompassed in the twenty four thousand dollar okay catch all right make sure that we understand that that's great for information for us just to understand uh, Tommy is a CPA and uh, does practice preparation but that's not what we're here to talk about we're doing it from a planning standpoint Scott when we talk about it from a planning standpoint you we have clients that come in and we talk about this we're going through this we get into the weeds we do tax harvesting we do all that but what do we what do we see in most cases with planning when we do this and and what's the issues why are we doing the program I guess Well I think I think one of the big issues Jim is you know people whether they use a tax preparer or do it themselves they really don't think about the tax situation until about April the 14th Yeah that's true And and by then there's a lot of things that you can't take advantage of at that point so you're being reactionary trying to take all the tax deductions you can but if you haven't planned ahead You've you've lost some opportunities there, so it's important to be proactive, be looking ahead. You know, it's time now to start planning for 2019 taxes and look at some strategies that you can do in 2019. I like the words you used, proactive, because if you're not careful, when it gets to January the second, you're now reacting, right? And that's difficult. Tommy, give us some things that you look at as far as taxpayers should focus on before 12:31. Well, in the uh you know, month of December is holiday season. It's also tax planning season. And what uh, what a what I advise clients as a financial advisor, or uh, from from my experience as a uh, tax preparation person, uh, go ahead and start organizing your records. Take a look at your 2018 income. Plan for an estimated payment, uh, the last of which is due on January 15th, 2019. Uh, if you're over 70 and a half, make sure your RMD, your required minimum distribution, has been calculated correctly and taken. Uh, those are all items that need to uh, be on the financial advisor's desk to help with the overall planning issues, as well as working with your tax preparer and getting ahead, getting ahead of it prior to turning your work into the tax preparer once we get past January 1st. I think that's critical for us to look at that. So when you think about it, you're just putting it all together. If you just tuned in, my guests are Tommy Armstrong and Scott Jordan. We're talking about just basically year-end tax strategies. It's it's getting our head around, and as Scott said, being proactive with our tax preparation instead of reactive when it comes to January the 2nd. Scott, let me do this. When you talk about from where he's coming from and all of the tasks that we should do, whether it's organizing tax records, what are some of the strategies that, that we should look at as far as the thought process? I mean, I know he's mentioned already that, you know, Tommy did, that we should definitely know about qualified charitable uh, distributions from a qualified account, but what else should we be looking for? Well, I think, you know, looking at, at tax deferral opportunities is always important. Make sure that we're taking maximum advantage of any tax deferral accounts like 401ks through the employer, IRAs that can be deducted, you know, looking at somebody's personal situation and see what makes sense in that area to be deferring taxes. Um, there's also, you know, Tommy mentioned it earlier, tax loss harvesting. That's where you you know, sell some of your investments that you've experienced a capital loss in and go ahead and take those losses and maybe 
buy the buy a similar security to replace that and, okay, so and harvest those going losses. Going through that process. Going through that process, and uh, you know, we're talking about being proactive. You know, another thing is just be looking years ahead. Look multiple years ahead at what your potential tax situation is going to be, and just go ahead and develop strategies now to take the best advantage of you can of any kind of tax breaks that you can get. I, I think that's so important. So let's let's do this, Tommy. You mentioned the tax deferred account. Max out your tax deferred account. Why do you do this? I mean, that's that's your 401k, your simple IRA, uh, the SEP IRA. It's just whatever. But I know people do that. You think about that. Why do that? Well, the the main some of the main benefits of a tax deferred account is that you obtain a reduction in taxes right now. So you're paying less into the government today. Uh, that may free up additional funds for other other reinvestments or priorities or even maybe a little discretionary spending. Uh, but also the money that is put into a tax-deferred account, as it grows, those the growth of those investments is not taxed in the years ahead. Uh, when those dollars will be taxed once you start taking them out of the account, and by deferring it now, you set yourself up to be able to engage some of the proactive planning uh, topics that Scott would want to integrate into his multi-year tax planning. If you defer it now, you get flexibility later. That's tremendous. That's a good point. I know you talk about this, lowering your taxable and, you know, the, the adjusted gross income, and that has an impact across a lot of things when you've lowered that adjusted gross income. The adjusted gross income or modified adjusted gross income is used to calculate phase-outs that are still in place. Uh, it applies to Medicare beneficiaries as to what they pay for for their Medicare Part B premiums. And and so anything we can do to to bring, the, bring that adjusted gross income number down, again, gives us flexibility for planning further down in the tax return and into the end of the years after the one we're working in right now. That's a, that's extremely important. Scott, you mentioned just before we got into that part about the qualified charitable deductions. Uh, just just a little bit more information about that because I want this is where do you get this money from? You said yeah, that's that, that's great. Yeah, and I think one thing to to really point out is, you know, the qualified charitable distribution's been around for a long time, but it, it has become more important and more on the radar screen now that the standard deductions are doubled. And a lot of people won't be able to take advantage of their charitable giving because their standard deduction is going to be higher than what they would get if they itemize. So uh, the qualified charitable distribution becomes a interesting strategy. And I do want to point out that you do have to, this is the one part of the law where you have to be 70 and a half before you do it. Okay. Can't turn 70 and a half in a year you do it. You need to wait till after you turn 70 and a half to make the qualified charitable distribution. And that money comes from uh, either a 401k or an IRA. So you're, you're required to take minimum distributions once you reach 70 and a half out of your qualified account. So I couldn't do this if I'm 55. You could not do this I if you're 55. I can't take money out of my 401k. No. We, so this is just for that person who's over 70, 70 and a half or older. 70 and a half or older. And that are that have to take a required minimum. They have to take a required minimum distribution anyway. So the money has to come out of the account right. one way or another, right. whether you need it or not. Uh, but it's also a way to take that money that you have to pull out that you would be taxed on and go ahead and send that directly to a charity, has to go directly to the charity from the IRA, 
and and that way it never hits your adjusted gross income. And so, I know we do that a lot with we planning do. because yep. we look at a lot of people and we look and say, okay, you're making your charitable contributions anyway. Why don't you do this now? Does that tell me? Does that money just immediately go off the tax radar? I mean, you didn't. How does that actually? What does that do to your tax return? Okay, well let's let's just let's just walk it through in simple terms. If you take your required minimum distribution uh, directly into your pocket, it adds to your charitable income, and then you it adds it adds to your it adds to your adjusted gross and taxable income. Okay, okay. And then you take that money out of your account and you send it to your charity, and the deduction normally would hit the Schedule A and be an itemized deduction for a, a charitable gift. What the, uh, what the Qualified Charitable Distribution allows you to do is it completely avoids showing up in income, and also it is not taken on your Schedule A, but by reducing it on the adjusted gross income side, you have immediately lowered your taxable income, even though uh, the standard deduction has been increased and may have diminished the value of the actual charitable gift. I got it. That makes a lot of sense. I'm going to ask you about tax loss harvesting, but before I do that, just remind everybody, Shoemaker Financial, Secure and Financial, we do not provide tax advice. This advice should not be considered as such. What we're talking about, it's not advice. We're just talking about it. We're discussing it so you know it's important, and it helps you know what to ask your tax advisor regarding your specific tax situation. Now, we're a fine line. We're not really giving anybody advice. We're just simply covering the tax law that changed in 2018, but some things that are continuing to go on that have been around for a while, such as, and what we just talked about, is qualified charitable distributions. And Scott, I want to ask you this. You mentioned a while ago tax loss harvesting. And again, that's something we've been doing, but it's critical you do it. I mean, you really are having to look into your accounts now. You can't wait till January to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's something that can be done all year long for the tax year, but if, if it hasn't been done already, it needs to be done before the end of the year to take advantage of it. And you're simply... You know, looking for securities, whether it's a, a stock or a mutual fund or an ETF, you're looking for a security that you have a capital loss in and go ahead and sell that and realize that loss. And that can be used to offset other capital gains that you might have. So you just do some planning. Right. Absolutely. And that's our job to make sure that we're helping people know about that. That's yep. important. That's, uh, Tommy, I, I guess that would keep kind of moving through some of these strategies you're talking about. They're avoiding capital gains, and, or, or at least managing capital gains and knowing what to do with them. A lot of people actually, if they have large capital gains, and we, we've seen that, even though we've had a 10% correction, we have accounts, you see a lot of people today with capital gains, that are making gifts. Talk about that. Okay, well, uh, the difference between uh, a qualified charitable distribution and a gift of an appreciated security is your your. Your qualified charitable distributions come out of a qualified account, and the capital gains management and tax loss harvesting applies to accounts that are taxable, uh, not tax-deferred. And by taxable, we mean that when you transact something in a taxable account, that's going to have an immediate tax consequence, uh, whether it's income or a deduction. And so the pro and and in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. There were no changes to the fact that if you're not in the very highest tax bracket, capital gains rates, long-term capital gains rates, 
are 15%. They're 15% no matter how much money you make elsewhere in the tax return unless you get into a top bracket. And so <clears throat> what we're what we're trying to do is uh, is take advantage of that 15% tax rate which may be lower than your other ordinary income tax rates, but also the tax code allows us to uh, avoid paying even the 15% by making a gift of a security, uh, which is a mutual fund, an ETF, common stock, out of a taxable account directly to a charity. And simply put, the code, simply put, the code allows us to give that gift, give that stock directly to a charity the capital gain does not add into income, and it and the amount of the gift is still allowed on Schedule A if it gets above the twenty four thousand dollar threshold or the twelve thousand if you're single. Do you think this is uh, this idea of the twenty four thousand dollars threshold is that going to put a lot of lull a lot of people to sleep that shouldn't be asleep about their tax return? That's an opinion. I'm asking your opinion. Well, I think I think when they see it in 2018 and they see that their charitable de- deduction that they used to take maybe doesn't have the same value to the tax return on Schedule A, then it's going to point them back to the front page of the tax return where if we give it away directly, we can keep it out of income to begin with and thus get the same benefit we used to get, except that it's on the front page of the tax return, not down in Schedule A. I think that makes a ton of sense right there. That's the critical part. That's why we're talking about year-end tax strategies. Now, let me summarize. Calculate your, if you owe additional tax, if you calculate that now, don't wait. Uh, Just go ahead and make an estimated repayment. That's important. Then maximize your tax deferral opportunities. Look at your 401k. Look at your simple plan if you have one. All of the ideas, your simple IRA, your SEP IRA, anything you've got, maximize it. Find out what that is. Just do it and make sure you're doing that. Consider Roth contributions or conversion strategies if this happens to be a good year to do that. Examine your taxable portfolio, your securities portfolio, for some tax loss harvesting. I thought that was a great subject, guys. Great idea, great thought. Do it now. Don't wait till January the 2nd. And then, of course, always consult your financial advisor, your CPA, or attorney. Anything you're going to do, just simply to look at what are the 2018, look at those numbers, and then see what about multiple year planning. Just You don't have to be extremely wealthy to do that, but the point is, if you think about it, you can sure put some kind of a strategy together, and long term, that could be very important. And I think, last but not least, guys, don't make this so hard. Have a wonderful Christmas. Don't wait till Christmas to do it. That's <laughs> what good. we have a yeah. tendency to do. Hey, I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money. Now, these two guys, that's Scott Jordan and Tommy Armstrong, they'll be back with us when we come back, but stay with us because Shannon Dyson's going to answer the question, should you, should Would you take Medicare Part A? Maybe not. Find out. Stay with us. This is I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. 
Well, welcome back. As I've told you a couple of times during this program, we're not giving you tax advice, specific tax advice. You make a financial, security financial does not do that. We're trying to give it an overview and something to help you understand what you need to know when you go sit down with your advisor. So, Tommy, this, let's tie this together. Let's put the bow around it. It's complicated, and yet it's not complicated. But it hasn't taken the 300-page uh, document to prepare your taxes down to three. Oh, no, no, not at all. And and yet the role that we play as certified financial planners uh, in the financial advisory business, it's up to us to understand tax consequences from the top of the tax return down through the end of the end of the financial plan. And it's up to us to help help our clients know when to reach out to a tax preparer or an attorney or a benefit specialist like Shannon Dyson. We just try to view the landscape, and help our clients move through the areas of their plan that they need to address, including tax consequences. And you talk about tax consequences. Don't wait till January the 2nd to do that. Start now. You should have already started, but boy, we're trying to tell you, just get it going. We appreciate it very much. Stay with us because let me tell you this, Kaiser Family Foundation has published some information about Medicare that you cannot believe. Listen to this. Did you know that Medicare beneficiaries are still responsible for an average of $5,503 per year of out-of-pocket health care spending. Now, that total, you ready for that? That $5,000, $5,500 is projected to increase to seventy, almost $7,900 per year by the year 2030. And that's why this second guest, our next guest, is going to talk about Medicare. And I want to welcome to the program Shannon Dyson. Thanks for having me back, Jim. You know, Shadow, this is a topic that we just get a ton of information, a ton of questions about, and people are constantly asking us about Medicare, Medicare supplements, the open enrollment, all of that. This is the time of the year that it seems like it's pushing a lot of people. So let's talk about the question is, should I, should I not take Medicare Part A? That's a that's a great question. It's a question that comes up and it's frequently confused with, yes, I do have to take Part A when I turn 65. And Part A of Medicare is for hospitalization coverage. And so uh, once you turn 65, you are eligible to take Part A. Um, that is only for hospital coverage, but you do not have to take Part A. Uh, one of the reasons, and really the main reason that you would not take Part A of Medicare is if your employer is contributing to an HSA, a health savings account, on your behalf, uh, or if you are currently contributing to a health savings account. Um, if you take Part A of Medicare, you are no longer eligible to have that contribution made for you or make any contribution to an HSA yourself. That's a that's a big subject. So what about Medicare Part B? Medicare Part B, there's a cost to Medicare Part B. And so that that today, this year is $135 per month. I may miss, miss, be missing some change. $135, 135. Uh, per month. Plus some nickels and dimes. Plus some nickels and dimes. Uh, and Part B covers everything outpatient. Uh, so doctor charges, uh, any type of outpatient testing. Uh, typically, if you have group coverage and you're covered under your employer and you're not retiring and you're continuing that coverage, uh, you don't want to take Part B because it's really not going to help you in any way. It's not going to pay any addition or in addition to your group plan. Uh, so don't incur that extra expense. You can wait. You will not have a penalty when you go to sign up later. Now, if that's, you know, when you think about this penalty and all those reasons and it gets people nervous and that's it, but we're in the middle of the open enrollment season. I mean, I am getting inundated with it. I know friends of mine are getting inundated with it, uh, with both Medicare and individual health plans. So if it's the open enrollment, 
versus a special, what's the difference between open enrollment and special election periods? And why is it so confusing? This is probably the biggest question that comes up when people uh, turn 65 towards the end of the year or turning 65 in January or February. Uh, They keep hearing December 7th is the deadline for the open enrollment period. Um, That's actually an annual election period. So all the commercials that you're hearing today, uh, enrollment through December the 7th, uh, that's for prescription Part D uh, and Medicare Advantage, and that's the annual enrollment period that each year you can make changes. Uh, When you turn 65, that's an open enrollment period, and that gives you a seven-month window to elect Part A and Part B of Medicare. It's the three months before you turn 65, uh, the month you turn 65, and the three months after. Uh, So that is your open enrollment. Everybody that turns 65 has the same seven-month window as an open enrollment period. All right, let me ask you this question. You've got a person who's just turned 65, they're listening to the program, or they know someone that's just turned 65, and that person has not enrolled, okay? For, for I've come up with 100 reasons, but the reality is they don't have coverage and they didn't enroll. Are they just out of luck? I mean, I mean that's terrible to stay at that way, but is there not a... Is there a look back or a, a, a grace period? Yes. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, so if you, they if, were sick. Let me just, you know, they, yeah. they were sick or they right. were out of the country or whatever. Right. If you turn, when you turn 65, uh, if you do not sign up for A and B in that seven-month window, um, let's just talk about Part B uh, right now. If you don't sign up for Part B in that seven-month window and you have no group coverage, you have no health insurance coverage, uh, you will incur a penalty when you go to sign up for Part B. For a lifetime? For a lifetime. It's 10%. Um, and it, there's only a certain time of the year between January and March that you can actually sign up for Part B if you miss that window. So when we, when we talk to people, we want to make sure if they're not signing up for Part B that they have group health coverage. Uh, if you have a group health plan, you have nothing to worry about. When you when you decide to retire and you leave your group health plan, uh, there's an additional special election period that's eight months after you leave your employment and leave your leave your. Uh, that's for the person who's still working after six five. Still working still, after six Still working or, or still has a health plan. Still has a health plan, and th- there's a big distinction there as well because it is your current employer health plan. Um, if you if you let's say you uh, retire and you you take Cobra uh, from your employer. Um, and you're 64 when you retire, and you take 18 months worth of COBRA. Uh, COBRA does not count um, as uh, credible coverage to not take Part B. And so you want to make sure that you know the rules. And the rules are uh, if you are currently working and for that employer and you're on that employer's group health plan, you do not have to take Part B, nor should you take Part B. Well, if you just tuned in, we're talking about a subject that seems to be on everybody's mind, whether they are 65 or know someone 65. The reason why? Because you're getting inundated with commercial after commercial after commercial. It's an update on the Medicare enrollment and healthcare enrollment and open enrollment. We're all under that period right now. And I want to ask later on, what happens if a person decides to take Part A and B only when they retire? They don't take any prescriptions. So what happens? Do they... Didn't it have to have Part D plan? Do they need to do that? We'll find out when we come back. You're listening, of course, to Talk Money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. We'll be right back after this. If you have questions you'd like to have answered on the program, email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. Memphis native Abe Fortas lived in an era of great challenge in our nation's history. Along the way to becoming a Supreme Court justice, Fortas worked for the SEC and the Department of the Interior during the Roosevelt administration. 
He joined the armed forces and was honorably discharged in 1945, and he helped found Arnold and Palmer, one of the largest law firms in the world today. But what Fortis is most known for is his elevation of the rights of children during his time on the Supreme Court. In a landmark ruling in 1967, Fortis' majority opinion extended the guarantees of the 14th Amendment regarding the rights to sufficient notice, counsel, the right to confront witnesses, and protection against self-incrimination to juvenile cases. This expanded a decision rendered the previous year, which abolished the parental status of the states and required them to provide children accused of a crime with an opportunity to make a defense, which forever changed the juvenile justice system. This has been another Mid-South History Moment, brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. Shoemaker Financial and Security and Financial Services do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. And now, back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, we're talking about some heavy subjects today. I appreciate you listening. And so many times you send us questions about Medicare, Medicare Part A, Part B. We've talked about tax strategies. We've tried to give you some insights into what you need to be thinking about. This is all about putting you into the driver's seat when it comes to your health care or your tax planning by giving you some information about that. That's the purpose of the program is to provide you with financial information or tax information that gives you an insight to move forward and what you're trying to accomplish with your financial dreams and goals. But here's the question that we've got. What happens if you as a person decide to take Medicare Part A and Part B and you retire? Okay, this is that you made the decision, but you don't take any prescription drugs. You happen to be one of those gifted individuals that runs 30 miles a day. You, you climb 16 mountains a year. You eat nuts and grains and do a phenomenal job. You don't have to take anything. So you decide to not take out a prescription Part D plan. Shannon, this person quits eating you know, nuts <laughs> and grains and doesn't continue to run 30 miles a day. And all of a sudden, they have to take a prescription. Do they have a problem? They can take a prescription drug plan at the open enrollment period or the annual enrollment period that we're going through right now. They do have a little bit of a problem, though, because they will be penalized for not taking it when they took out Medicare initially. Uh, When they made the decision to retire, leave group health coverage, take Medicare A and B, uh, and not take prescription Part D, that decision would cost them 1% per every month that they did not have coverage. So, you know, again, I mean, this is back to, we talked about this in the earlier part of the program. This is strategy planning. I mean, this is all about, Absolutely. you know, what do you do? So how do you, how do you help? So, I mean, I'm just, I mean, I'm talking of a person who is very healthy and taking no drugs. I mean, there are no prescriptions, no drugs, no prescriptions, <laughs> but the reality being they, they decided not to, and literally 24 months later, they got to take a blood yeah. pressure, and a very expensive blood pressure prescription. So they decided to get it 1% per month from the time they took Part A and Part B. From the time they just made the decision not to take and they did not have other prescription drug coverage. And, and we consult with, with people that come in all the time and they say, I just I don't take any prescriptions. I don't need a prescription drug plan. Um, and we say, I agree, you probably don't need one if you're not taking prescriptions. Let us at least get you covered in the least expensive plan that is available to you so that you don't incur that penalty. Because in the situation that you just said, yes, they'd have a 24% penalty 
Uh, and so how that works, there's a calculation they use on the, on the average price for that year. Uh, but basically, you can take the premium of the plan that you're going into and add 24% to that cost for, the, for, for your lifetime. That can be devastating. It can be expensive, um, and the, the prescription drug plans range in the in the twenty five to as much as one hundred and twenty five dollar premium, just depending on per which month, plan that you month. choose per month, uh, just depending on what you choose and what prescriptions you take. You know, I, I it goes back to the whole reality of just, uh, and I so much appreciate what Scott and Tommy talked about earlier is the reality of just strategically thinking through, thinking about what's going on, and and again, this is complicated. In fact, I was reading an article recently. Uh, in fact, it was in the USA Today. It was from InsuranceQuotes.com where they interviewed a thousand five individuals, and here's what they said about open enrollment for just healthcare plans. Forty-one percent of Americans admit they don't know what health care and open enrollment is. I just that blew me away. I mean, forty-one, four out of ten people walking the streets of Memphis, Tennessee, do not know what health care open enrollment. Now we're trying our best. So everybody listening, you don't qualify to be one of those four out of ten. I think we're inundated with so much information and maybe they've they've heard open enrollment. They just could not put it into words what it is. I have to think that's probably the case. <laughs> uh, because we have heard so much about it and we hear annual enrollment, we hear initial election period, we hear open enrollment period. Um, it can be confusing as to which one you qualify or which one you're in. All right, let's ask the question, because we, we want everybody listening to not fall into that four out of ten. What, I guess I'm trying to word this, we're in the open enrollment right now, so what is open enrollment? Tell me exactly, help me understand it, give me the time periods, give me the deadline, and what do, how, how do I deal with so it? So there are two things going on right now. For If you are age 65 or older, um, you're retired and you're looking and you have Medicare A and B, uh, you're in what is called an annual election period. Uh, that happens every year. Uh, it's from October 15th through December the 7th. Uh, that is a time where you can change your prescription Part D drug plan, uh, or if you have a Medicare Advantage plan, you can change that as well. Uh, we're also, for people that are under age 65, in an open enrollment period for individual health insurance. Um, and that runs from November the 1st through December the 15th. Uh, and that gives you once once per year, uh, an opportunity to either enroll into health insurance coverage if you've not been previously enrolled uh, or change your plan if you've been on a plan and you want to change your plan during that time. But it's just November 1 through December 15th. That's the only time each year that you can enroll into a health insurance plan if you're under the age of 65. So let me, I guess, it, I know that you've mentioned this before. If I elect, I'm healthy, I don't want to do this, I'm 30 years old or 25 or whatever, is there... I know you've said this before, there's no longer a penalty for not having insurance, right? Right. So what is that saying to us about the marketplace? So what, what happened, I guess, uh, middle, middle last year that is, that is moving forward for years 2019 and beyond uh, is that you do not have to have a health care plan. So wh- whereas when the Affordable Care Act was initiated in 2010, uh, that mandated that you have health insurance coverage. And if you remember the Supreme Court battle of can you mandate health insurance right. coverage, they in, ended up saying, yes, you can. Uh, that's gone away. And so you will no longer be penalized monetarily uh, if you do not have a health plan. Now, if you don't have a health plan and you end up in the hospital, 
that's a different story altogether uh, because that's where you see I don't have health insurance. What happens to me now? And you don't want to be in that situation. Well, let me ask that question. What happens to that person? I mean, is that uh, they just out of luck? I mean, obviously the hospitals are going to treat you. Um, you're going to end up with a pretty large bill uh, when you when you leave that hospital. And depending on your financial situation, um, if they can come after you financially, it could. It's, it's bankrupted people in the past. Yes. I mean, you you have some serious consequences if you don't have health insurance and end up with a major a major illness. You know, I, I think we need to say this because there is just, I know a lot, you know, sometimes you're trying to say, well, I can't afford it. I need to do this. I can't do that. I can't do this. I think it's decision-making time here. You're taking an enormous amount of risk, whether it's an accident or a sickness. We don't control that. Right. You can be as healthy. You can do all those things you think you're doing fine. But I need big people to listen to this. You you don't want to play around because financially, uh, it is, it's devastating. It literally can, we've seen some six figure numbers. I've seen some seven figure numbers, especially if you have a family and your children, you can't go running around here without having medical coverage. Well, the way that we consult when people come in is we, we take a look at their financial situation. Uh, what, what a lot, many folks don't realize is that they may be able to qualify for tax subsidy credits on to, to go against the cost of their health plans that could lower that cost. Okay, wait a second. Before you talk about that, I want to take a break. I want to discuss that tax credits and how to work with that and what what do we want to make sure everybody knows. That's critical. My guest, Shannon Dyson, we're talking about open enrollment. We've been talking about Medicare Part A, B, and D. You'll want to listen to this podcast again to get all of what he's saying. It's vital. You're listening, of course, to Jim Shoemaker. I'm your guest, or your host. They're my guest. This is Talk Money. Podcasts for Talk Money are available for iOS mobile devices in the iTunes Store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. I know I was a little confused a while ago when I was the host of the guest. I was just totally engaged. This is great information, and I think it's important that you pay attention and listen. We have so many people that ask questions about this because this is a hard subject, and it's confusing. And these guys are doing a great job of putting it together for us. Shannon, I, I so much appreciate what you do because literally I think this is sometimes what people get just frozen in their tracks and do nothing because they don't understand it. It is complicated. I mean, just to go into the website is like, I mean, and I'm fairly sophisticated. Well, I won't go there. I'll stay out of that. <laughs> Subjective. <laughs> but, that's true. But the reality is it, it's complicated and it's difficult to sometimes finish what you're trying to get done. So here, here's my question back to you. Tax credits. Okay. Let me let me do this. You mentioned tax credit, but, but I've got... You know, Tommy back in here. Tommy, you're the expert in tax, so uh, I, I use that lightly. I uh, know. Uh, thank, uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. But I mean, uh, tax credits, tax credits, using the tax credit thought process, how do you, how do you, do, you know, how do you know you qualify for tax credits? Well, you, you, you get with Shannon and you do an estimate of your 2019 income when you are enrolling for health insurance. And where it impacts the tax preparation desk is that when you go to do your tax return for 2018 or 2019 and you participated in a subsidy against your health care premiums, then you have to report you know, additional forms on these simplified tax filings, but there are additional forms where you have to report what you actually paid for your health insurance, 
the subsidy that you were granted, and then based on your actual income versus the estimate you gave Shannon, you have to settle up with the IRS on whether you got too much tax credit or not enough. But if you don't report that transaction in your tax return, you will end up with notices or even being locked out of getting a subsidy in later years. What is Shannon? You want to add anything? Yeah, to that, that? no, that's great. One, one thing that I would add is that if you know you are projecting income for 2019, when you, when we come and do an analysis, uh, we're looking at projected income for 2019. If that changes throughout the year, um, you're encouraged to report that change immediately, uh, so that you're not waiting until you file those taxes the following year. And Go ahead and report the change that to the IRS. You're reporting it to HA. You're going back to the healthcare.gov site where we submitted the application. Uh, there is a change of income button. You click that and you let them know. Uh, that way they can go ahead and make those changes in your tax credits. If your income was lowered, you could get more tax credit. If your income is higher, they would take some of that tax credit away. Now, that's a lot of moving parts, guys. You've got to manage this. You can't just punch a button and forget about it. Yeah, no, you can't because we, we see people come in and their income does change or they get income in that they weren't expecting and they go to file those taxes the following year and the IRS is, is saying, wait a minute, we gave you too much of a tax credit and they're asking for some of that money back. Um, but one thing I would encourage people to, to look at, uh, when, when you say, I can't afford the insurance, well, you know, we, we're talking about tax credits and so you could have some help there. Um, but even if, you're not, if you don't qualify for a tax credit, Let's at least get a high deductible health plan in place. One of the biggest complaints about high deductible health plans, they don't cover anything. I go to the doctor and I've got to pay everything out of pocket. There's a lot of truth to that and the way that it feels as the consumer. However, if you end up in the hospital for two weeks and you only have a $6,000 bill after all of that, you'll be thanking us that you went ahead and got that health plan. That's a big issue because you could walk out of there and literally it'd be half a million dollar bill. $6,000 is a light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> half a million, sometimes there's it's not. not. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, one of the things that's happened in the last year is we've seen some premium costs go down. Why is that? First year in Tennessee that yeah. we've seen premium decreases. Uh, premium decreases at 10 to 12, 13%, 14% in some cases. Um, compare that with the previous years of 20, 30, 40% rate increases. We're still not caught up to where the uh, increases took us. Uh, but we think it's just because the insurance carriers are have a better understanding of how to price these products. Uh, you remember that bef- pre the Affordable Care Act, health questions were asked before uh, somebody could get a health plan. And so as an insurance carrier, you know what you're getting. Uh, a lot, so people can get sick later, obviously, that can happen. But you pretty much know the risk that you're taking on. Uh, the Affordable Care Act said no health questions allowed, and so you're taking on an influx of people. We've had eight years to see how many people do we think are going to be in the market, uh, what is the overall, what our loss ratio has been, and they've been able to, I think, come down on the pricing because they're better able to price the product. Do you think we'll ever get rid of the Affordable Care Act? My opinion, I don't think so. I think that uh, you, you've got some the staples of the Affordable Care Act, which are uh, no pre-existing conditions and guaranteed coverage. I don't think those will ever go away. I think we'll I think we'll have those. Too much of a hot political tape, take, potato. Would you want to be the politician that took that away? I I just don't think I don't see that as if if you run on that as your campaign uh, platform. I don't know that you'll make it very far. Yeah, that's a great point, and I think there's a reason. I think we needed that. I mean, we now, do. It does absolutely it does add to the way we pay for it and how we do that. Well, the but, biggest thing that we talk about when we're talking with people why the Affordable Care Act, what, what are the good uh, aspects of it? 
uh, you had people that would work in a job for 20 years and be laid off and have nowhere to go if they were sick. If they had diabetes or if they had a heart condition, they couldn't get health insurance. And so there needed to be a fix in the system, and that did fix that part of the system. You know, I appreciate what you've done. If you've just listened to this program, the bottom line is, you know, the key is understanding the Affordable Care Act, understanding open enrollment, Medicare, Part A, Part B. Shannon, summarize for me. What 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 do you want to leave with everybody listening to it? I would just encourage everyone to, to not automatically... You hear how high pricing is in the market for individual health insurance. I would encourage you to find someone that can walk you through the process to see if you qualify for tax credits and just see what your actual price would be and to talk with you about the dangers of not having health care at all. Well, again, I said earlier, 41% of Americans admit they don't know what health care open enrollment is. If you've been listening to the program, you are no longer part of that 4 out of 10 Americans, especially in Memphis, Tennessee. You have been listening, of course, to The Voice, KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. My guest, Scott Jordan, Tommy Armstrong, we've been talking about tax strategies. Shannon Dyson, Medicare Part A, Part B, Part D, all of the parts of Medicare and open enrollment if you're needing health insurance. If you would like to talk to them, just give them a personal call at 757-5757. We hope you have enjoyed today's program as much as we've enjoyed bringing it to you. If you have questions for Talk Money, send in the Talk Money at ShoemakerFinancial.com. To find today's program on podcast or past programs, go to iTunes, search for Shoemaker Financial. Be sure to like us on Facebook. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and you've been listening to Talk Money. Talk Money is produced by Greg Ratliff. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovitz. Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. We'll see you next week on Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker, Tommy Armstrong, and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Come on now.